Okay, let's uh, let's go ahead and pray for our brother Austin, who is where in Iraq, and uh, yeah, we're getting emails from. Him. He called me twice, man, and I missed both phone calls. I was so bummed. Austin, if you're listening to this, I, I love you, man. I'm sorry. And um, we need to be praying for him because, hey, would you like to be in Iraq, just kicking it there in the desert, trying to figure out what to do? You have something to do here and there. Uh, no brothers around you really to build you up or encourage you. You're more doing all the encouraging. Gosh, we got to pray for him. Even more so Kent Hovind, who is locked in prison, sitting there by himself in a cell. Um, can you imagine being put in a cell for doing something that you believed in? Something that you thought was right? Man, I can't even imagine. Away from your family... He's an older man, you know. He's what are you, how old is he, Jay? Late fifties. Late fifties. Brilliant man. Let's um. Let's pray for them both. Can we do that? Disagree with me, please. Let's pray for them, Father. We come to you asking that you'd please have your hand upon Austin Barnhill right now. That Lord, as he sits there in Iraq, whatever he may be doing. We just ask that you would go with him. And Lord, we ask that the wind would blow in such a way where you just sense that cool breeze in his face. They look up at the sky and just recognize that that's you. It's you ministering to him, loving on him. Lord, you just have those sweet moments, Lord, where, I don't know, a bird shows up or, you know, something random, Lord. Just your creation, just coming close face to face with him. Just experiencing your heart. Him being reminded about the Scriptures and reading and spending time with You daily. Please bless our brother. Please be with him, O great King. We also pray for Kent Hovind, Lord. As the believers prayed for Paul in that day, we pray for him, asking that he would be set free, that he'd be released. Father, please bring him rest and peace. Just everything that he needs for this situation. And please help him to draw close to you during this time like never before. When he gets out of that place, God, we ask that he would be a lion of a man. Just ready to stand up and proclaim truth like never before. Please have your hand upon his life tonight as we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We have a sweet brother bringing the word to us tonight, which I am fired up about. Yes. Huh, Josh? Yeah. We're going to be in Second Chronicles chapter 22, and Steve Kumar is going to be bringing the word. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Let's welcome Steve. Come on. Steve is, uh, man, becoming one of my sweet brothers. And uh, the time spent together is very sweet, very wonderful. And uh, the Lord definitely has His hand upon his life in many different areas. And I'll let him uh, speak about his own life as much as he wills. But um, he has a way of bringing the Word, and I know we're going to be blessed. And so uh, let's come with ears to hear, amen? Let's come ready to learn and to walk away blessed. Steve, all yours. Okay. Well, thank you for all not hitting the exits. 
now that you know that uh, I'm speaking. But um, <clears throat> all right. <clears throat> well, it's really a a joy to be here tonight, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to to share with you tonight. I'm really happy to give my dear brother a little break tonight and just to share with you a little bit from my heart. Um, my name is Steve, for those of you who don't know me, and I've seen a lot of you in different places, and um, I've lived in a lot of different places. I'm originally from New York City and migrated over the course of my life. Uh, in, I've been in all four time zones in the United States and seen a lot of people, met a lot of different personalities, have a lot of stories, um, but the single most important event in all those experiences was the day I came to know Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. That happened when I was eight years old. And then when I became a, um, when I was a senior in high school, that's when I rededicated my life to the Lord, and my life has never been the same, and God has taken me on a great journey, and, and uh, I'm so excited. I'm, I'm really, really excited. And uh, you may not remember a whole lot of what I say tonight, but uh, if you remember the scripture verses that we go through tonight, if you get a chance to jot them down and meditate on them later, those are actually what's going to really minister uh, to your heart, uh, even when we're beyond this place. But thank you for coming tonight. As many of you know, I, uh, I serve the Lord out there in the world uh, as a physician, and I have the wonderful pr privilege of taking care of people and pointing people uh, when the opportunity presents itself to the great physician. And, and that's the person that we've come to worship tonight. And uh, I'm excited that you're here tonight. Well, let's turn in our Bibles tonight to Second Chronicles chapter 22. And the title of the message tonight is called Making a Choice. Making a Choice. Let's uh, go before the Lord and uh, let's have a word of prayer before we jump into our study. Lord, tonight we just want to come before you with open hearts and we want to hear your voice and we want it to speak to us we pray now that your word would come alive and that we would leave this place different than when we came in uh, open our hearts now and open our ears to what you would say to us through your word in jesus name we pray amen one of the things i love to do is when i look at children i like to look at them next to their parents, and I like to see what physical characteristics that the kids have that they got from their parents. If you were sitting next to your mom or dad, I like to look and see, you know, maybe you have your mom's hair, maybe you have your mom's eyes, maybe you have your dad's nose, your dad's ears. Um, it's always interesting to see that. It's, I have an appreciation for that because it's amazing how God design the human body. He takes 23 chromosomes from your mom, 23 chromosomes from your dad. He brings them together um, and through a series of processes that occur at the moment of conception, your genetic code is determined. And in that genetic code, it specifies in that all that shuffling what color your skin will be, how tall you're going to be, what your gender will be. All those things happen. It's a miracle of God, and it's kind of neat to, to, to see that. And sometimes it's neat to see, you know, you'll notice some people, they actually have the voice of their parents. I was listening to a soundbite the other day of Chelsea Clinton. 
you know, Senator, Senator Hillary Clinton's daughter. And I was listening to her, and I was amazed. She actually sounds like her mother, like her mother's actual voice was in her voice. And the same way as if you ever listen to um, Franklin Graham, Dr. Billy Graham's son, if you listen really carefully, you'll actually hear Billy Graham's voice in his voice. It's an amazing thing. Sometimes kids pick up on the habits that their parents have, and they get uh, they get some of that passed on too. And sometimes they're good things, and sometimes they're not so good things. Kids are very perceptive. They pick up on what their parents um, uh, do or don't do. And before us in our scripture text tonight, we're going to see a young man. And we're going to see whether he followed the example of his parent. A parent has died in our text. He was a king. And his name was Jehoram. Okay, and Jehoram has died, and now his son is going to take his place. He's a, in in in, um, in Judah. And the question is: Is the son going to resemble his dad, or is he going to be different? Well, let's talk about his dad. His dad was a wicked guy, Jehoram. This guy was wicked, bad, terrible, so bad that the prophet Elijah spoke to him. Sorry, prophet Elijah wrote him a letter, and in that letter he said. Basically, you're going to pay. God is going to hit you where it hurts. You've given yourself over to false gods. You've desecrated my name. You've married into the house of Ahab, which was a wick, another wicked king. And you're going to pay. And God's going to hit you where it hurts. He actually specifies it in chapter 21, our previous chapter. He says, I'm going to hit you in the intestines. You're going to get a severe disease of your intestines. Let me tell you something. If there's a choice of where in the body you could get an infection, the intestines is not the place you want to get hit. Okay? How many of you have ever had food poisoning? Raise your hand. Okay. You know what I'm talking about. Okay, first you get the cramps, and after the cramps are gone, it's multiple stops to the bathroom. Okay? Diarrhea, the runs. Okay. Yeah, sorry about that visual. Hope you, ha hope you haven't eaten yet. <laughs> Um, but uh, oh it gets better in this story believe me um, so he gets hit in his intestines and the intestines uh, you know it's where you process everything and in infections in the intestine are very hard to control in the hospital setting if you, get, if you get an infection we can throw all the antibiotics at you but the intestines are a nasty place they're full of bacteria and he got hit there and so hit the Bible says in uh, the previous chapter, chapter 21, that the Lord struck him, this King Jehoram, this wicked guy, with an incurable disease in his intestines, and his intestines started leaking out day by day, and he died in severe pain. Um, that's verse 19. That's a tough way to go. But you know he had chances. He could have repented. He could have changed. But you know what? He hit the point of no return. So now his son is going to take over. The king has died, and actually nobody was really sorry that King Jehoram died. Nobody was really too upset. Nobody shed too many tears about that loss. But now we're going to re read about his son. Let's read in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 22. Bear with me here. We have a lot of names in this chapter of 12 verses, but uh, we're going to go through a lot of stuff, so um, fasten your seatbelts. 
Okay, here we go. Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the raiders who came with the Arabians into the camp had killed all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, reigned. Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. Now, in verse 2, it says that King Ahaziah was 22 years old. Some of your Bibles say uh, 42 years old, but you'll note, you'll note that there's a little notation there. And in the original text, if you go to uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, it actually tells us that in the original, it says that he was 22 years old. 22 years old and already in a position of prominence, a king. Many of you in this room are in your early 20s, or upper teens, early 20s. The early 20s are a, is a very significant time in your life, okay? It's an extremely important time. It's a time when maybe you're starting, uh, you're, you're finishing school, or you're getting ready to start your career. The things that you do now in your life are going to have an effect on the kind of person you're going to be down the road. You form good habits now, good, uh, good principles you build into your life. They're going to stay with you as you get older. But if you build bad habits, you kind of don't think, take things seriously now, they're going to catch up with you. And the problem is when you get older, um, there's a pro people often become what is known as set in their ways. And when people become set in their ways, it's not like it's impossible for people to change, but when people become set in their ways, they become very stubborn. And they become very, their attitudes are very firm and they don't want to change. So right now is a very pliable time if you apply yourself to becoming the person that God has called you to be. Um, let me take my parents for, ex for example. Allow me to brag about my parents for a second. Uh, my parents have been married for 37 years. Okay, And when my parents were young, even before they were married and had my sister and I, my parents built into their lives at young age godly principles into their life. They spent time with God. They they learn to be disciplined. They learn to be a person of their word. Learn to be a good listener. Learn to be responsible. All of these things. They weren't perfect, but they learned to do these things. So that later in life, once they got married, it was such a blessing. Imagine this. You've purposed in your life as a single person to be a good listener. Can you imagine how blessed your spouse is going to be one day when you get married or when you're getting to know them before that? Or you purposed in your heart to be a responsible, dignified person, a person of integrity. Do you realize how blessed your marriage is going to be one day when that, when that happens? They laid a foundation when they were young so that when they became older, they would know how to raise a family and have a firm foundation for that. They did that in their single life. And I say that to mention that the time that you're going through right now, that we're going through, is important time. Some people say, well, I'll just get to it later when I'm older. No, actually, that's not a mature way of thinking. See, everybody knows that it takes more to be a, to be a father. I'm not a father, but from what I've seen, 
It takes more to be a father than just to be able to father a child. You know that, right? It takes more to be a mother than just being able to carry a baby in your womb for nine months. There's more to it than just that title, that biological aspect of being a father or a mother. So the principles you develop in your life now, godliness as a godly young man or a godly young woman, will have an impact on the person you will be down the road. And that's what it means to not just live in the past or live in the present, but to live in the future with that future mindset. Like, man, I want to be that person when I grow older who will be an awesome man of God or a woman of God. And that's a biblical viewpoint. The Bible reinforces this. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Then it says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Have what mind? The mind he was just talking about. That mind that looks to the future. And that's what we need to be. Not just live in the present, but live and think about the future. And the decisions you and I make now have an impact on what we do later. So Ahaziah was a young man. A lot of promise. A lot of potential. Did he live up to it? Let's read on. Verse 3. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. Ooh, this is not looking good. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. Okay, let's talk about the word walk for a second. Physical walking. I'm going to give you a little free medical advice here, okay? Free medical advice at Zip's Coffee House. Walking is one of the best forms of exercise you could ever engage in. Walking has benefits, just walking, just simple walking, not running a triathlon, not doing any of those things, just simple walking. 30 minutes a day, three to five times a week. I walk two miles a day, by the way, so I'm not just talking. Um, Walking can, number one, reduce high blood pressure, if that's what you deal with. It can reduce bad cholesterol, improve good cholesterol. If you need to lose weight, it can help you to lose weight, and it can help you to uh, prevent against chronic diseases like diabetes and other, other form of cardiovascular disease, obesity and whatnot. So it has multiple health benefits just walking, physically. But spiritual walking is extremely important. The Bible talks a lot about how we need to walk spiritually. Keeping your finger in 2 Chronicles 22, let's jump to Ephesians chapter 5 just to illustrate this point. I'm a visual person, so I like to actually see it. And so Ephesians chapter 5 tells us how we should walk spiritually. You know, walking spiritually implies a direction. We need to be moving forward. If we're staying put, that's stagnant. If we're falling behind, that's not good. We need to be moving forward, and that's what we were talking about earlier in the passage from um, Philippians. And here it is, Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to list for you some points on how we should walk. Number one, we need to walk in love. Look at verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also has loved us 
and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We need to walk in love. What kind of love is that? That's an agape love. Walking can also be translated, we need to live like this. We need to love others with that unconditional love that Jesus has for us. You know, hey man, it's really easy to love people who will love you back. But it's really hard to love people who are your enemies. People who talk smack to your face. People who talk behind your back. But the Bible admonishes us that we need to walk in love. That's an important point. Number two, we need to walk as children of light. Walk as children of light. Look at verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. The Bible tells us that we need to let our light so shine before men so that they will see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. Pull off the veil, man. We need to let our light so shine before men. And we are the light of the world. And we don't need to hide it under a bushel. And we need to be thankful that God has ignited the light in our lives. Let's walk as children of light. Number three, we need to walk circumspectly. I love that word. That's also in the King James, I think. Circumspectly. That means we need to walk carefully. Look at verse uh, uh, 15. Thank you. Uh, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. We need to walk with wisdom. We need to walk um, carefully and Sometimes you can think of like the way a cat walks, you know, kind of checking things out, walking very carefully. And that's how we need to walk in this world because there are a lot of booby traps, aren't there? And we need to be careful. Um, and that's and we do that by walking circumspectly. Some other verses, uh, we don't need to go to there, but some other ways we need to walk, you can jot these down if you'd like. We need to walk humbly with our God. That's Micah 6, 8. We need to walk in the Spirit so that we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Walking in the Spirit, that's Galatians 5.16. And we need to walk by faith, not by sight. And that's 2 Corinthians 5.7. Okay, so we've talked about walking. Now, how do we actually live like this? What I call it is rubber meets the road Christianity. We could talk forever about theory. In medicine, we can talk forever about theory. But until we talk about how it applies to the human body, it's just in the realm of theory. So let's talk about this practically. Everybody knows about physical health, right? We are in a fitness-crazed society. We, uh, we talk about how we need to be physically fit, and that's important. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we need to take care of them. We need to be good stewards of our physical bodies. Okay? Now, I often see patients, and patients sometimes need medication, but many times, in addition to the medication, they need to have a good diet and get onto an exercise plan, an exercise regimen. Now, just like you do physically, think, for me, uh, think with me for a minute. If you have a bad diet, like a supersize me diet, Okay, and you don't exercise. You just park it in front of the TV. Okay, I can. T- you can imagine what kind of uh, health you're going to be in, right? You're going to be horrible. You're going to have horrible health, and it's going to catch up with you later. 
good nutritious diet plus good exercise, like I was talking about earlier, walking, for instance, equals good physical health. And in the same way, good spiritual diet plus good spiritual exercise equals good spiritual health. Inadequate, poor spiritual diet, bad spiritual health. So, how do we, com- be- we become spiritually healthy? <clears throat> well, let's go through some practical, practical pointers, okay? Number one, we need, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, so these are things you already know, but they're helpful to, to, to remind ourselves of, and, and Brother Josh was mentioning them to us earlier, and so, and he and I didn't even discuss what, we were, what I was going to talk about tonight, so that's how you know the, the Spirit was working even then, so... I feel very confident that what I'm about to say to you is uh, the Lord uh, has his hand in this in, in some way. Number one, what we need is we need a daily devotional life. That means we need to have time set aside to read God's word and to spend time in prayer. <clears throat> Sometimes people tell me, I ask them about exercise, I say, hey, have you walked today? They say, oh yeah, I walked from uh, my car to the office. Yeah, right. No, that's not the kind of walking we're talking about. That's incidental walking. You know, you just do that by virtue of just being alive and having a pulse and having to go to work. But you need to have time charted out, carved just for exercise. And spiritually, that applies too. Just like in working out, you need good technique, right? Everybody knows, like, um, when you're working out, if you want to have good definition and you know intoned you have to have good technique bodybuilders will tell you this even my bodyguard robert hill will tell you this okay <laughs> um, you have to have good technique all right and um, when you're trying to build muscle mass you got to do reps right you got to have different sets you have a routine and in the same way reading the bible we tell the new believers when you read the bible it's not Eeny, meeny, miny, moe, where the page falls, I will go. It's not like that. You've got to have a plan, an actual systematic way of going through the Bible, and that's what we do here at the Upper Room. We read a chapter a day. We take a few verses. We meditate on them. That's having order. That's having structure. And our God is a God of structure and a God of order. And and that makes sense. We need to meditate on God's Word. This is the, the daily steady diet, the manna. Okay. Uh, as part of the devotional life, we need to cultivate a prayer life. You know, have a in, have a have a card or a journal and write. Who do I need to pray for today? What are the requests that I need to lift up to the Lord today? Cultivate a prayer life. I just want to say one thing about time spent alone with God. As you get older, responsibilities increase. The demands on your time increase. This time to spend alone with God, it does not come to you on a silver platter. You will have to fight for it. You will have to fight for it like there's no tomorrow. This is especially true for those who are called to full-time Christian work. You're like, what? Full-time Christian work? We have all day. All day to praise God. All day to, to worship the Lord. Ah, that's the fallacy. Yes, when you're in full-time Christian work, if God has called you to that, your plate is going to be filled with tons of activities, tons of ministry, tons of important stuff. 
But the anointing comes in that time spent alone with God. Time on your knees. Time just getting away with the Father. Run into the wilderness. Tell your friends, you know what, dude? We'll spend time later on, but I need to get alone. Or, sister, I need to get alone just for a little while. I didn't get enough time with the Lord this morning. Guard that time because it can slip through your fingers like quicksand if you're not careful. And it's important. I don't know whether I'm the only person. I doubt I am. But sometimes when we spend time with God, praying, reading the Bible, we get distracted. Anybody get distracted when we're praying? Okay, so I'm not the only one. Hey, I have a technique for that. When that happens, you're getting a distraction. Satan is saying, oh, man, remember this. you got to call this person, pay this bill, do that thing. Get an index card. First minute that thing pops into your mind, write it down. Another thought, you're praying again. Another thought comes in, write it down. And then put it away. Write it down, put it away. Write it down. Another thought comes, write it down, put it away. Those things to do aren't going to go away. They're going to be on a piece of paper, and they're not going to be in your mind causing you to be distracted while you're trying to communicate with God. The index card is a valuable tool in your arsenal to uh, to get at the enemy, okay? Hey, he knows all the tricks. He knows all the tricks, so, you know... We have, we have some our tricks of our own. So, <clears throat> another principle, number two, we need to memorize Scripture. Psalm 119.11. Your word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. Very important, because you're going out into a rough world, man. You're going to be hit. We need to have a solid understanding of God's word. Have it implanted in our heart so that we can quote it when God gives us the opportunity. Number three, sing praises to the Lord. You know what? Just sing and worship the Lord. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.19 that we need to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, some of you may have been at the college and career last week and, and, and heard the men's chorale from CBU. They were awesome, right? Um, I mean, talk about a sound, making melody. Now, it's okay if you can't sing like that. I certainly can't. And um, But we can sing, and we can make, for those people who can't sing, we can make a joyful noise, okay? We can make noises. So make some noises uh, to the Lord. Um, get your hands on some good worship music, and, and just praise to the Lord, okay? That's a... Add some creativity. Sometimes people say, hey, man, I don't want to work out because it's boring, you know. Well, add a little creativity, man. Spice it up a little bit. The same way with our Christian life, with our devotional time. Add a little creativity. It doesn't have to be the same way, same routine. You feel sleepy, stand up and walk. You know, walk around, pray. Hey, believe me, I've been tired many a night, many a morning, and sometimes I needed to, you know, walk around because the Red Bulls weren't doing it. Um... Energy drinks. Um, so, and then uh, the other way, another thing that we can do is we need to, another spiritual exercise is to share our faith. Share our faith. And uh, this is something that I love what Pastor Greg Laurie, senior pastor at Harvest, says. He says, evangelize or fossilize. That's so cool. Because if you're not sharing your faith, you're just going to go grow stagnant. It's a great thing to be able to share your faith. Okay, let's go to verse 4. <clears throat> We're still talking about Ahaziah. 
therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. So Ahaziah, is, uh, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. He followed the ways of the house of Ahab. Ahab was a wicked, wicked king. And he said, and it says here uh, in verse 4, that the people in the house of Ahab were his counselors. <laughs> and they led to his destruction. Counsel, very important topic. Counsel could also be interpreted advice. Who you take advice from, who you take counsel from, says a lot about you. There are a lot of people out there giving bad advice. There are a lot of people who don the hat of Christian who give a lot of bad advice. So this is why we need to be very careful who we take counsel from. The Bible says in Psalm 1.1, Happy is the man, blessed is the man, or happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. The ungodly will offer you ungodly counsel. It's been said, a man is known, could be said the same for a woman, a man or a woman is known by the company they keep. That is so true. That is so true. You hang around good people, the good influence will rub off on you. You hang around bad people, before long you'll start walking like them, talking like them. All of the bad things will rub off on you. This happens particularly if you're hanging around negative people. Ever hung around somebody who's negative? After a while, it's going to grow on you like a fungus. Yeah, that was one of the things that happened to us in New York City. Um, my, my classmates and I, when we were training in New York City, man, some of my classmates were from, New York, uh, from Texas, from Mississippi, other parts of the country. I'm, you know, I'm from California. and Man, we just couldn't wait to get out of New York City. Because New York, no, no offense to New York City. I mean, I'm from there originally, but it's very intense. Type A, in your face. You're on the subway. People are like, you want some of this? You want some of this? You know, people are like really intense. And it was like day after day after day, you know, I was, I was wishing I had somebody like Robert to, to, to protect me, you know? Um, it would, that kind of attitude, that kind of me first, that kind of stuff rubs off on you. And that happens in the world if we're not careful. Who you take counsel from says a lot about you. Choose your friends wisely. I'm always impressed by people who want to go to older people and say, you know what, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time. How would you deal with this situation I'm dealing with? What would you do in this situation? You know, somebody who asks a question like that, if you, go to, you, if you sisters go to a, an older woman, a godly woman, and ask her that, or if you're a younger man and you go to a, a, to a man who's been walking with God for a long time, if you go to somebody like that and say, hey man, can you tell me how you would deal in a situation like this? That tells us that you are not full of yourself. That you don't have pride. You are humble and... Many people sometimes say, it's my way or the highway. You ever heard that? It's my way or the highway. You talk about a path of destruction. That is a prescription for, for disaster. My way or the highway. No, it's God's way or no way. That's the way it has to be. It's God's way or no way. And don't make decisions on your own without seeking the counsel of godly people. The Bible says in Proverbs 11.14, where there is no counsel, the people fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
There is safety. That's a safety net, getting counsel from godly folks. And ultimately, who we should get counsel from is the one of whom it's written in Isaiah 9.6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God is our counselor, our advisor. You can't go wrong with getting godly counsel. Okay, let's go to verse 5. He also followed their advice and went with Jehoram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to war against Hazael, king of Syria, at Ramoth-Gilead, and the Syrians wounded Joram. Um, He also followed their advice and went with Joram. Let me just summarize this, this, um, this verse very quickly. Ahaziah makes an unholy alliance with this man named Joram, who is of the house of Ahab. And he goes with this guy, Joram, to fight against a king, a king um, that he had no business going, king of Syria, that he has no business going and fighting with. But his association with this guy, Joram, is going to get him in trouble. It's an unholy alliance. There's a saying that says, you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Like we were saying earlier, you hang around bad people, you can almost write it. It's going to be be a bad outcome. And this man was going to get burned just by association with this guy. He's going to be led down a path that's going to spell his destruction. Because he goes into this war with the Syrian king, and that Syrian king wounds his, his buddy, Joram. And that's going to create a cascade of events that's eventually going to spell this, this guy Ahaziah's downfall. What unholy alliances do you and I have in our lives? You know, unholy alliances don't often just show up in, like, you know, clear black and white. Sometimes they can fly underneath, under the radar, an unholy alliance, like something we shouldn't be listening to, or something we shouldn't be involving our minds with. It's something that can slowly eat away at us and slowly destroy us spiritually. I ask you tonight, as I ask myself, are there any unholy alliances that we are keeping that is keeping us from becoming the men and women that God has called us to be? It's an important question for all of us to ask. Sin, the way sin works, is a little bit like cleaning your room. For those of you who know anything about cleaning your room... Um, you clean your room, you go into a frenzy, and you decide, hey man, I'm just going to do this house cleaning today. And you clean it all up, and the room is spick and span, no dust, no anything. But you leave this one little corner undone. Pretty soon, that one little corner is going to make its way to the rest of the room, and then your room is going to be just like it was before you started. A total mess. That's the way sin is. Give it a little inch, takes a little more. Takes a little more. Takes a little more. And before you know it, you're buried in an avalanche. And um, that's what unholy alliances will do. Let's go on. Verse 6. Then he returned to Jezreel to recover from the wounds which he had received at Ramah, that is, Joram, uh, when he fought against Hazael, king of Syria. And Ahaziah, son of the other Jehoram, king of Judah, 
went down to Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel because he was sick. We'll go on, verse 7. His going to Joram was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. For when he arrived, he went out with Joram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. A lot of names there. Let me just summarize it. So he went down, he went into this battle, unholy alliance. His friend Joram got injured. The guy Joram retreats, goes off to a place called Jezreel to tend to his wounds. And then his buddy, our king here, Ahaziah, goes to join his buddy who is wounded. And, you know, maybe spends, give him a little comfort. Um, and that is where he's going to walk into a trap because this guy named Jehu is going to come after Joram, the injured guy, and finish him off. And then he's going to come after the big dog, Ahaziah, and he's going to wipe him out too. But look at this verse in verse 7. It says, His going to Joram to tend to his friend was God's occasion for Ahaziah's downfall. The steps to Ahaziah's destruction were marked out here. And destruction will happen. There's a saying, another saying, the bigger they are, the bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? And this is very important. I want to use an example. I'm reminded tonight of a man who just about a month ago was in the news. He was the governor of the state of New York. His name was Elliot Spitzer. You may have heard his name in the news. Elliot Spitzer was a, is a 48-year-old guy. Okay, 48-year-old guy. He's an extremely brilliant man. When he was in high school, he got nearly a perfect score on his SAT. <laughs> when you get a perf- nearly a perfect score on your SAT, as you know, you're not doing too bad in the IQ department. And just in case we didn't get it, some people said, hey, you got lucky on a Saturday morning or something. Uh, he kind of showed it. He got into Harvard Law School and graduated from Harvard Law School. So, you know, he established himself as a smart guy very intelligent guy, became a successful lawyer, married a beautiful wife, three children, uh, three daughters, I believe, and um, developed a reputation of becoming a very successful lawyer, taking on the big wigs in Wall Street. Well, that's what you saw on the outside. But then, in a raging inferno of lust in the secret place when nobody was looking, simple perusing of the internet, he comes into an unholy alliance with a 22-year-old prostitute. And he makes contact with her and he arranges for multiple meetings with her. Multiple meetings. And he's a man of the law. He knows how to cover up his tracks, or so he thought. And one thing leads to another, leads to another. In about 48 hours, the word gets leaked out to the press. He has to resign in disgrace. No longer longer the governor. Political career finished. Name finished. Law degree, law career probably finished. Man, that is sad. Remember how I said he was a brilliant guy? 48-year-old guy with everything going in the world for him. Destruction. Unholy alliance. That's how sin 
can bring about the destruction of a person. It is no respecter of person. It is no respecter of age. It is no respecter of position in life. And we need to know that as Christians because I can tell you one thing. If you're a born-again Christian and you're trying to live your life for the Lord, you're a, you're a young lady or a young man, you're trying really hard to live for the Lord, you've got a bullseye right on you and the enemy is going to throw the kitchen sink at you. But greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And that's why we need to hold each other accountable and lift one another up. And uh, that's important to know. Downfall can happen with little steps. Let's go on to verse 8 and 9. And it happened when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab and found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers who served Ahaziah, that he killed them. Then he searched for Ahaziah. They caught him. He was hiding in Samaria. And when they brought him to Jehu, when they had killed him, they buried him because they said he is a son of Jehoshaphat who sought the Lord with all his heart. So the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. This guy Jehu kills all of Ahaziah's nephews. He tries to kill um, all of his nephews. And then he comes after this guy Ahaziah and he kills him. That's the end. The destruction. That's pretty sad. That is really a sad tragedy. But you know what? His sin found him out. The Bible says in Numbers 32:23, "Be sure your sin will find you out." You see, the path of destruction started with little compromises that Ahaziah made. First, he starts taking the counsel of these people after his dad died. Then he starts going into a war that he shouldn't go into, and then he starts hanging out with this Joram guy. And then Joram gets injured, and then one thing after another after another. And he's probably oblivious to it all. And then, payday. That's the way it happens. The path of destruction starts with compromise. Samson was a man who knew about this. You remember Samson? Samson was an anointed man. It's an amazing story, as you know. It says about Samson, when the Spirit came with that strength, the Spirit of God came upon him mightily. Wow. But this same man, Samson, he entertained compromise in his life. In fact, well before he ever uh, met Delilah, he married a Philistine woman against his parents' wishes. Yeah, bad idea. Bad idea, especially if your parents are godly people or people who are seeking after the Lord. Follow your parents' counsel, especially if they're godly people. But if that wasn't bad... Uh, Judges chapter 16 verse 1. You don't have to turn there but write that one down. Judges 16 verse 1. It says Samson, a married man went to Gaza and he saw a prostitute there and he went into her. Yeah, bad idea. That was a compromise. And that ended up being one of those dominoes that went down one after another and then when he by the time he meets Delilah this guy's already you know walked all the way almost into uh, the trap itself that's the way compromise is sometimes people 
when it comes to um, compromise, they want to tolerate this little part in their life. You see, I treat a lot of people. It's one of the sad parts of my job. I treat a lot of people for sexually transmitted diseases. A lot of people. Every single week. It's like, what's the STD of the week? It's a sad story. Some of these people are people you go to school with or you go to work with. And it's really sad because sometimes people want to see how close they can get to the line without really crossing it. You know, that's the way human nature is. Let me just see how close I can get without actually doing the act or falling into the act. Oh, that's one of the great deceptions of the world, uh, of the enemy. Get as close as you can, but you're not really doing anything bad. Our problem is not that we set the bar too high. That is really not our problem as human beings. The problem is we often set the bar too low. And God, when He looks at us as a people, as His people, He says, set the bar high. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God, you know, God does not tell people to deny themselves their sexuality. That's what the enemy tries to tell people. Hey man, you're not being normal. You're being abnormal. You're just denying your hormones. No, 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 that's not it. God designed human beings with a sex drive. Hello? Yes, He designed people. He wired us for sexual intimacy on His terms between a man and a woman in the married relationship. That's the way He designed it. But that's not the, what the way the world says. They, they, look, they look and say, hey man, you're missing out if you don't have this experience before you're married. And uh, we need to be aware of that. We need to be aggressive with sin. And, I'm just talking, and that's not just one sin. There are other sins. There are other areas of our lives that we make bad attitudes, wrong ideas about God. When we see, we need to be uh, have the attitude towards sin as we have towards cancer in medicine. You know, when we see cancer in the body in medicine in a person, we don't say, hey man, let's just massage that part of the body, let's just think nice thoughts, and the cancer will just go away. No. If we said something like that, we'd be guilty of malpractice. We'd say, you're a horrible doctor. You're a horrible healthcare professional. How could you do that? That person's going to be dead. No. When it comes to cancer, we swarm around it like a pack of wolves. We get in there and we make a wide cut around that tumor if we can. And once we get to that place, we cut it. We cut wide margins and we get the tumor out. And then we hit it with radiation or chemotherapy. And we go, bam, and we hit it again. And bam, we hit it again. And bam, we hit it again. And just in case we didn't, we missed it and we didn't get all of it, we bam, we hit it again. We're aggressive. We're aggressive. We don't want to play games with cancer. And that's the way we've got to be with sin. Oh, man, you've got to get that aggressiveness. Be ferocious with it, ruthless. That's the way we have to be. Because if we're not, it will eat us up. It will eat us up. And uh, if we can have that mindset, that attitude towards sin, we're going to be healthy. We're going to be spiritually healthy. God help us.
let's uh, continue on as we finish out here. Pretty soon here. We're picking up a pretty good pace. <clears throat> Verse 10. Now when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs of the house of Judah. I'll read on. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of the king, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered, and put him and his nurse in a bedroom. So Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jeho- Jehoiada, the priest, for she was a sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah, so that she did not kill him. And he was hidden with them in the house of God for six years, while Athaliah reigned over the land. Athaliah was the mother of Ahaziah, that king who died. And Athaliah was wicked. And she said, you know what? Now that my son has died, I'm going to wipe out everybody. I'm going to wipe out, I'm going to try to wipe out the messianic line. Kill everybody in David's line. And so she was wicked. And she, she went on a, on a murderous rampage. But... For the grace of God, God's hand would not allow that to happen. Throughout history, people have tried to wipe out the messianic line. And this lady, this wicked mother of Ahaziah was trying to do that. But God's hand of protection was on the messianic line. And so he raised up Ahaziah's sister and had her actually hide the one remaining son of Ahaziah, this kid named Joash, this baby, she hid him, and she hid him and his nurse. And we, and when it mentions his nurse, we know he was a really young. He's probably an infant, if at best. And she hid him and prevented Athaliah from killing him. And this man, Joash, would grow up in the house of God, in the temple of God. He would be hid in the temple for six years. And then his moment would come on the scene and he will you'll see in the next chapter he will become king of uh, he will become king at age seven wow um, God's hand of protection was on this young boy and I want to mention one thing because this lady went on a murderous rampage of a young of young children and we need to pray for young children we need to pray for the unborn This is something I feel very passionately about. There's a big genocide going on in our country. It's maybe one of the reasons why some of the blessing on this country has not been there. It's because of the genocide of abortion that's happened in our land. I'm not here to beat you over the head if you have uh, had an abortion or you know someone, a loved one who's had one, because if you're a Christian or you've come to Christ after that, uh, believe me, I've known many people who have who've been in that situation, and there is God is uh, forgives that sin, and there is grace. And I, the, I'm the last person to put anybody on a guilt trip. But I have taken care of many people who turn up pregnant, <laughs> and it is a reflex action. Oh yeah, I'm going to terminate this one. I took care of a of a lady last week. Actually, she and her husband, and she's married, and um, uh, she told me that, yeah, my husband and I have dis- discussed it, and 
Weird. And she was pregnant, obviously, and, and we saw it through a urine test. And she said, uh, we've decided to terminate the pregnancy because it's not convenient for us right now. Oh, man. That is such not an excuse. That is not an excuse. That is so prideful to say something like that. I told that lady um, as I silently prayed for God to give me the wisdom to know what to say. I told that lady, you know what? You may not want that child, but I can tell you a lot of people who'd love it, him or her. There are so many people who would love to adopt. I couldn't tell you how many people are out there who would just love to have a baby, who can't have children. But we're murdering a lot of children. We're murdering a lot of children. We need to pray about that. That's not a gray area, by the way. That's a hard black and white area. Abortion is bad. And anybody who tells you otherwise, it's all about choice, and it's all about... That's the same voice that says, my body is my own. I can do what I want. But when you belong to God, our bodies are not our own, right? We belong to God. And we need to uh, stand up for the unborn and pray for the unborn. Pray for the unborn children. Tonight, I want to close by <clears throat> talking about uh, something very briefly. Tonight we've discussed many things, on a, and I hope we haven't gone too fast. We've talked about, remember how I entitled this message, Making a Choice? There were really poor choices made in this scripture tonight, weren't there, by Ahaziah. Bad choices. And we have choices to make in our lives. We talked about mature thinking. We've talked about how we need to think with a heavenly mindset in this life. We've talked about spiritual fitness, how we can have spiritual uh, health, how we can be in shape. Tonight, if you're out of shape spiritually, man, what an opportunity tonight. Tonight is a night of reckoning to get spiritually in shape. Get ripped. Get toned. Get in shape spiritually. Let's all of us do that. I'm speaking to myself, by the way. This is not... I need to be doing these things. And... Uh, We've talked about who you take counsel from, how we need to take godly counsel. We've talked about unholy alliances, how we need to take inventory of our life. Look at things with a microscope and say, hey man, am I honoring the Lord in this area or that area, in my finances, in my relationships? We need to take inventory. And we've also talked about our attitudes towards sin and compromise. Life is short. I know you've heard that before. Oh, let me tell you, life is really, really short. I've seen life and death up close and personal. I have seen some of the beginning stages uh, of a person's life after conception. I've had the privilege of delivering many babies. Oh man, it's an incredible experience. To see a young baby in that room as the mother is pushing, to grab my hands around the baby's head and to slowly maneuver as she's pushing, slowly maneuver the baby's head and see that body as, it's, as it comes out and look at that baby and see the eyes open for the first time and to s suction that mouth and that nose of the fluid and see that baby take its first breath of life. 
Oh, it's one of the most exhilarating moments a person could be part of. And then to put that baby, uh, after clamping the cord, putting that baby on the mother's chest and hearing that first cry and seeing the mother, the tears of joy, the father, everybody in the room, that's an experience that you and I are going to have one day as parents. It's an incredible experience. It's one of the greatest experiences God has woven into the human life. The beginning of life is amazing. I've also been on the other end. I've had the sad reality of actually having to pronounce people dead. I've had people die right in my hands. I've been there as people have breathed their last breath. And I have been there listening to a heart that no longer beats, listening to lungs that no longer draw air, looking inside eyes that no longer see, and uttering the words to family members around the bed afterwards, I'm very sorry. And then signing the death certificate. It's a very somber, solemn, humbling moment. When the Bible mentions in James chapter 4 that life is a vapor, that is exactly what it is. One minute you're here, and the next minute you're not. And that would be a really sad story, except for one thing. That moment that you as a human being, from the moment you draw breath into your lungs, have an experience where you meet the one who died for you on Calvary. When your life meets Jesus Christ, aside from that moment, your life would be pretty your life and my life would be pretty sad. It'd be just, man, you just went through the motions. But if you've had an experience with the Lord and you've, and you've become a Christian and you've become born again, man, your life is not wasted. And I'm here to tell you that story tonight about life and death to remind you that every single person in this room's life matters. God has a plan for your life. Have you heard me say that before? I know you have. Get used to it because I'm going to tell it to you every single time I get a chance to tell you that. Because God showed me that in my life when I started to trust him that he really had a plan for little old me. Just sit in that pew and wonder, man, God, do you really have something you could do with my life? And if anything has ever happened in my life, it's all because of the Lord. And the Lord can do the same thing for you. Your life has purpose. purpose. God has a specific plan for your life. And when every single person realizes that, one person at a time, everybody gets serious one person at a time about sin in their life, about growing spiritually, about putting their life on the altar, on the altar about ripping off the pride, ripping off the mask. When every single person, one person at a time, gets serious about that, then that is when this thing known as revival generation will happen. That is when 
a Christian renaissance will happen. The renaissance was a great time in the history of our world. It was a time when there was a rebirth of the arts. There was a rebirth of poetry. There was a rebirth of music. There was a rebirth of all of that. Wouldn't it be awesome if there was a Christian renaissance, a Christian rebirth in our nation? And I really, truly, honestly believe that can happen in our lifetime, in our generation, and it really does start one person at a time with making right choices, with presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice to the Lord. And God wants to do that, and He wants to do that in Riverside, California. And God can start that right here at Sips Coffee House and take it to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's not just wishful thinking that is reality because the God we serve is not a God of wishful thinking. He's a God of promises. He's a God who delivers every time. 100% guarantees. Not sometimes exactly how we are expecting it, but never too early, never too late, always on time. That's the God we serve. That's the God who has met us tonight. That's the God we have the joy of worshiping. What a joy. What a privilege. What an awesome God. And, I, and that's my prayer for you. And that's what God wants to do in each of our lives. He wants to use us to reach our world. Let's commit our lives to Him and make uh, ourselves a living sacrifice. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that we can make a choice we can make choices, choices choices that will impact our world. Choices that are godly choices. And we thank you that you enable us to do this in your strength. We are so weak. We admit it now. I am weak. I can't do this of myself. None of us in this room can do this of ourselves. We need your help. Lord, we cry out tonight that you would reveal areas of our lives where we are not walking with you. Show us ways that we can get back to holiness, get back to keeping the main thing the main thing. Help us, Lord. Help us to be on fire for you. Thank you for what you want to do in our lives. Thank you for the plan and the purpose you have for every single person in this room. Now use us, Lord. Use us in this world. Help us to be shining lights for you. We thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus who died, who loved us and gave himself for us. Be with us now, Lord. Help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Protect us. We give you all the glory and all the praise. Thank you for this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 What a joy, huh? Gosh. Woo. I'm ready to preach. You know, I'm just, I'm so blessed. So many points that he was thinking, man. I mean, he went all the way back through them, but I just thinking about 
Number one, we as Christians are obese spiritually. We need to start exercising. We're prideful because we don't confess. If you do not confess to someone, you're prideful. You're too scared to tell someone. Walking with God, making choices and decisions daily. Man. I was just yelling yay and amen through the whole thing. What Steve was saying is a reality, fam. It, it, it's like we're living real life in real time right now. You're losing minutes right now. You know, there's a big funeral at Harvest today for a, a boy that died at Arlington High School. He's in New Jersey and he got in a car accident. And... Uh, it's just the craziest thing. I was thinking to myself, I remember me and my buddies, back in the day, my buddy uh, Eric Gonzalez, you know, he's Mr. Superman. Like, we're, uh, we go rock climbing together, we shoot guns, we go off road, and we just do the craziest stuff together all the time. And we had talks about this, like, would, it, would anybody in the group, there was like 10 of us, would anybody die? And, um,. It's just like, who would die first? Like, which one of us? Like, there's coming a day, and we had discussions about this. It's crazy. All of them are Christians. All of them love God. And then all of a sudden, it was him. About two, two and a half years ago, he was the one, Superman. He was the one who was laying there in his deathbed with a 2% chance to live. And all of us friends are like crying out to God that God would raise him up out of that bed. And God did raise him up out of that bed. And they said that he would either be retarded in some way in his mind or that he would have problems with his motor skills, like he wouldn't be able to walk right or move. I just went rock climbing with him two weeks ago. And he did the, the same climbs that we always did. He's completely back in shape and almost about to be in the best shape of his life soon again. I praise God for that. The family, you must understand that life is short. It's a vapor, okay? You don't got time. God could snatch your life away tonight. No one knows. I wonder that. So I always think that. What's going to happen to me like when I die? What What's going to happen to the church? What's going to happen on Tuesday nights? All of a sudden, it's just like, oh, Josh isn't there anymore. I'm dancing around with my king. Enjoying heaven. I'm telling you this because I want reality to hit you. I want you to wake up. Because life is short. Even one in this group tomorrow could be gone, you know. You don't know. That's why you must be living your life for the King. Every day. Josh, I'm tired. I know. Life is difficult. We must move forth daily in our lives. Get a move on it. I don't need to be papa to everyone. I don't want to have to kick you in the britches to get you moving. That's what my grandma would say. Get moving. Get on it. You know what you need to be doing. Understand what God has for you and move forward. Amen? It's that simple. Let's move. I love you guys. I'm so blessed by the sermon tonight. I pray that you take these things to heart. Father, bless your people.
Let your spirit fall afresh on us. Give us the strength and the power, please, to move forward in the things that we desire to do. We, Lord, are helpless without you, King. We are peasants in the field who are starving. We can do nothing apart from you. So we need your power, please. We need discipline. We need obedience in our lives. We need faithfulness. If we simply offer ourselves, moment by moment, watch what you can do. And so that's what we do tonight. We lay ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice unto you, King. Have your way. Have your. Would you guys say that? Just say that with your own lips. Have your way in me. Father, have your way in us. Whatever you desire, whatever you want. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter and I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. As I am waiting, yielded and steel. Have your way in us, Father. Be with your people tonight. I ask these things in the name of your Son. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.